Welcome to Smart Software, a podcast where we talk about best practices in web and mobile software development with a focus on new and emerging technologies. My name is Justice Epen, and I'll be your host today. I'm a developer at SmartLogic, a Baltimore-based consulting company that has been building custom web and mobile software applications since 2005. From the SmartLogic team today, I am joined by my excellent co-host, Eric Ostrich. Say hello, Eric. Hello. And we've been working on our second season of Smart Software. This season, our theme is Elixir Internals. So we've been talking about the internals of various Elixir libraries. And today, we're joined by none other than Sophie De Benedetto from the Flatiron School, going to talk to us about a couple of Elixir libraries they've put out over there. Hey, Sophie, can you say hello to the audience and maybe uh, give us a brief introduction to Flatiron and um, how you got started with Elixir? Yeah, I'd love to. So, uh, hey, guys, thanks for having me. As you said, I'm Sophie. I'm an engineer at the Flatiron School. And uh, what we do is we provide a set of... Well, we started out with just software engineering, a software engineering in-person boot camp, and we expanded to a data science course, a design course, some other disciplines coming soon that I won't spill the beans on. And what we do is we take people who are coming from various different backgrounds, different types of educations, different types of industries and life experiences, and we put them through this you know, three-month to six-month course, and we let them help them get a job in those various fields and those disciplines. So we really provide some education doing that. I think helps people change lives. That's what it did for me. I was actually a Flatiron student uh, about five years ago. I went through the software engineering program back when we were just one campus uh, here in New York. I graduated. I started teaching here. I started writing curriculum, left for a little while to do engineering elsewhere, made my way back about a year or so to the engineering team here. And yeah, just kind of loving it. I love what we do and what we provide to people. And you're actually our second Flatiron guest. We're a big fan because I think that at least one of our employees over here at SmartLogic was from Flatiron. It was Meryl, right, Eric? Yeah, that was our, uh, the previous guest from Flatiron. Yeah, Meryl is right. Meryl's yeah. awesome. That's a great she's episode. Great. Yeah, she's great. She actually worked uh, on both of the libraries that I'll be chatting about with you guys today. So she's here with us in spirit. Well, then I'll let Eric jump into uh, open source questions. All right. So we've also been, in addition to learning about Elixir internals, we've also been just kind of trying to learn more about like how to get involved with open source and, and whatnot. So what was the first library you uh, helped contribute with or two? So actually, the first open source uh, entity, I guess I'll say, that I got involved in more meaningfully was not a library, but it's actually Elixir School. I don't know if you guys have heard of Elixir School or have used our resources at all. But what Elixir School is, it's an open source, totally free, hopefully relatively comprehensive Elixir curriculum that we've gotten translated into lots and lots of different languages. And it also kind of comes with a blog offering. And I originally got involved in Elixir School just as a contributor, a friend of mine who I work with here at Flatiron was involved and, you know, suggested that I open an issue or, or contribute an article when I was working on a blog post of my own. And uh, I was just honestly like 
so kind of surprised by like how welcoming and excited all the different maintainers were by my contribution or just the fact that I was interested. So I started to get to know and work with these Elixir developers at all skill levels, like around the world, like, oh, here's this guy in Greece. And he's, you know, actually the best uh, at grammar of anyone I've ever met. And he kind of meticulously comes over all these posts and makes them really perfect. Or this guy in Italy, that's like an amazing front end engineer who's trying to learn Elixir, is contributing his skills to make this site, you know, super flexible and responsive and, and look really great in addition to contributing Elixir content. So kind of getting involved in the Elixir school community has been really rewarding. Uh, and it's just been a really cool way to kind of give back certainly to a community and a group of people who I learned a lot from just having consumed their content in the past. And it's also been a really cool way for me to think about how I want the Elixir community overall to grow and sort of become more beginner friendly, become uh, more open, you know, wanting to be able to port over some of the things that I think many of us have come to know and love about the Ruby community. So I think the other thing, I think, I think we, Probably got an answer to this already from Meryl's episode, but it's always good to ask, does Flatiron help with any of your contributions to open source? Yep, that's a great question. And I don't know that my answer will differ so much from Meryl's, but I'm always happy to plug some of the things here we do at Flatiron. We are hiring, by the way, so I'm going to throw that out there and hopefully be able to share some links and some resources. Uh, yeah, Flatiron is very supportive of open source contributions. Uh, one of the things I really love about our engineering organization is how focused we really are on supporting our engineers to learn and grow in various ways. So we've got a number of sort of internal committees that are run by various team members interested in different areas. We've got a blogging committee, support you to write blog posts. We've got a speaking committee, support you to go give meetup and conference talks. And we have an open source committee that um, meets regularly and does contributions to open source, you know, libraries and projects and looks for new opportunities for those contributions and just kind of supports people to get hacking and get out there in the world. And like I said, what I like about that is that it's very self-directed. Uh, so it's just kind of led and driven by engineers here at Flatiron. I want to dive into something that you mentioned when you were talking about like bringing over some of the best parts of the Ruby community. Because we've got had so many people on the podcast that came to Elixir from the Ruby world. And I'm curious especially because you know, right now we're talking about open source, we're talking about how people can contribute to the community. What do you think that the Ruby community has or had that the Elixir community like really needs to be intentional about adopting? Or like, what do you think the Elixir community is lacking that we can look at Ruby to, to pull into the community? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think, for example, we actually teach Ruby as the primary like backend focus language through our software engineering course offering for our students. So they learn Ruby and like Sinatra and Rails and then, you know, other stuff too, JavaScript and SQL and all that stuff. But we're pretty big on Ruby for our students. And I think there's a couple reasons why. One of them is it's a very semantic and it's a very eloquent language. And by eloquent, I mean to say that it speaks for itself. Someone trying to read some Ruby code, if it's, you know, halfway decent, could kind of figure out out more or less what it's trying to do, even if you're not a programmer. And that's really important to us for our students who are not programmers. They're here to become become programmers, to learn how to do it. And they're coming from various backgrounds, most of which are not 
engineering, right? Not computer science degrees. So lots of people kind of come into this with a lot of trepidation. Like, can I do this? Is this for me? Like, I never learned this stuff in school. Is it going to be too difficult? So reaching for a language that kind of off the shelf, like feels friendly and feels approachable just to the casual reader, I think is really important to us. But beyond that, I do think that the Ruby community is really beginner friendly. There's just because, you know, in part, it's such a mature relatively so, I guess, language and community, there's just so many resources out there. Like you'll have a million stack overflow things to choose from and a million blog posts. And so, so many companies out there are using it and contributing resources to it. There's so many meetups, there's hacker hours if you're in major cities, you know, and I'm sure elsewhere uh, around the United States, just groups of people getting together to hack, oftentimes on Ruby things. So being able to bring our students who are beginners into this rich community that is welcoming, that offers a lot of content for them to get their feet under them, and that is supportive of people who are learning is is a huge value add for us. And I think it's one of the reasons why our students are very successful. And I definitely don't think that Elixir is lacking that, like, oh, it's this gross, you know, inadequacy that the Elixir community have. But the Elixir community is just so much newer and it's so much less mature. So it's just certainly, first of all, off the bat, going to be a lot smaller. And you're not going to have this nice wealth of resources that we've kind of come to take for granted. If I need to Google how to do such and such a thing in Ruby or Rails, like you can kind of get there pretty quickly. And if you need to Google how to do it with Ecto or Elixir or something, depending on what you're looking for, it might take you a minute and ask me later about how hard it is to find how to do anything with Kafka and Elixir. That's a whole other journey. So yeah, kind of like the, the lack of resources. And I I wouldn't say Elixir is less beginner friendly or less welcoming as a community, but I think one feature of the Elixir community, perhaps more so earlier on than now, is that you get a lot of more experienced and more mature programmers kind of coming into it from the Erlang side of things. So you see less of these like other new kind of a little bit confused, but, you know, ready to work hard sort of friendly faces that you might get used to seeing at a lot of Ruby meetups. You're not going to see that as much, or at least I think that's absolutely changing now, but you weren't going to see that as much as at a lot of Elixir meetups. So I think what I want to see happen in the Elixir community or continue to happen is two things, really. I want people to write more blog posts and resources, mostly selfishly, because I want somebody to tell me how to do the things that I get stuck on doing. And I also want uh, there to be more beginner-friendly and beginner-focused resources and activities and events. And one of the things that really gets me is I, you know, I work with a lot of people devving on Elixir here at Flatiron, and many of those people are junior devs. And a lot of things that I hear, and I used to hear this from my students as well, when you encourage someone to blog, is there's this reticence. People feel like, oh, that's too easy. Like, it shouldn't have taken me too long to figure that out. Surely, you know, someone more experienced doesn't need to be told how to do this. But there are, you know, for every one thing, thing that you struggle with. There's going to be dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of people out there in the world that are exactly where you are, who are just as frustrated or confused or who could really use a refresher. So I just hope that people will push past that reticence and just start contributing more and more resources. No matter how easy you think it is, um, I'm confused about it. So please help me write stuff. And uh, I guess to continue with that, so like writing blog posts is extra selfish because in six months to a year later, you'll forget to do what you did and then you'll have notes to tell you exactly what you did. (laughs) So it's very handy uh, for future. 
yeah, and I constantly look back over my own blog post. Like, to be perfectly honest, one of the libraries that I know we had planned on discussing today is a library that we had built here at Flatiron, like, almost a year ago. I haven't worked with it too recently, and I just looked up my blog post that I wrote about it when we published it, and I just reread it. And so I'll just be quoting myself from six months ago when we talk later. But this will be one of the many times I'm sure that I'll plug Elixir School again. If, if you have anything you want to write, anyone out there that's listening to this, whether it's something short and sweet, like kind of a Today I Learned post, think of Elixir School. We would love to publish it. Well, I can tell you that personally, I would love to sit and talk about the potential of using Elixir as a pedagogical tool to teach people to program. That's a really exciting concept. I know that Ruby is sort of the default in that sphere right now uh, among people who, you know, like boot camps, right? Who do a really good job. But I do want to hear about this library that you just mentioned. I think it's Xcript. So what is Xcript? Can you talk us through it? You also have a very similarly named library that I think it might have been an early version of Xcript. So like, what is Xcript? What does it do? What is Encrypt? What does that do? Yeah, I think I may have messed up a little bit when I shared some links with you guys. So the package is called Xcript, but the repo is called Encrypt. So it's actually the Encrypt repo that's the one with the up-to-date code in it, which I only honestly just realized as I was digging through some things before I uh, hopped on the call with y'all. So you may have some slightly outdated code to reference, but uh, the Xcript package is a command line Elixir engine that we sorry, excuse me, it's a command line encryption engine that we built here at Flatiron and published to a particular need that we had in a project we were building. One of the things that you may not know if you're not a Flatiron student or a Flatiron grad is that all of our curriculum content or most of it is backed by GitHub. And that's because we want our students to interact with real tools, to be working with GitHub, just like real developers. So our lessons and the projects that we provide to our students are all quote unquote deployed from our kind of central curriculum location whatever, to GitHub. All the lessons become GitHub repos, and that's the point at which students come into contact with them through our LMS. So we have a a great need to build tooling that can get content onto GitHub in like a secure and sane and hopefully fast and efficient manner. So we spent a decent amount of time last year building out an Elixir application that we called our Curriculum Deployer app. And what it would do is it would pull in bulk a set of lessons and it would deploy them or kind of create repos and push the contents up to GitHub for our students to get access to. And in order to do that, we needed to do or we wanted to do some like direct Git action. So we were using the GitHub API a lot for a lot of this work. But, you know, of course, there's lots of things to take into consideration when you're trying to do bulk HTTP API interactions. So we thought we can solve for a lot of these concerns if we can just do some Git stuff directly. When it comes to getting the contents into the GitHub repos, if we can be cloning things down and pushing them programmatically, it's going to save us a lot of time. Uh, and it's going to fix a lot of our kind of API limitation headaches. So we needed a way to empower our app, our curriculum deployer app, to be executing these Git commands. And in order to do that, it needs Git configs and SSH keys and all the things that you need when you're using Git on your machine. So how do we sort of take our... How do we kind of pass around these SSH keys on these various servers in a way that's sane and secure? And even in your local development environment, because the app is dockerized, how do we copy, let's say, 
the SSH keys for this particular, you know, bot user from your machine or from your .envrc file or whatever into the Docker container, well, certainly we need to encrypt them. We need to take your SSH key files and we need to turn them into something that no one can steal and abuse. And we cast around for a tool that would work for us to take these files and encrypt them and decrypt them. And we couldn't find anything that we could quite get working. And a lot of the offerings were also like much heavier weight than what we really needed. Again, you're just encrypting one file and you're decrypting it later on. So we kind of looked a little bit at uh, some of the things that Elixir allows us to do. I'm sure you guys know Elixir has Erlang interoperability. The Erlang uh, crypto module is like pretty easy to work with. So we just essentially built a fairly lightweight wrapper around that and uh, leverage eScript so that it could become a command line executable. And our package was born. So can you talk a little bit about eScript actually? What exactly is eScript and you know what do I need to get started with it? Yeah, totally. So eScript is pretty cool. It's basically a way to turn your average everyday Elixir program into an executable that you or your users can run from the command line. So it kind of takes your app and produces an executable that can run anywhere that you can be running Erlang. And in order to turn your app into an eScript or to use eScript to turn your app into an executable, there's really just like a very small handful of things that you have to do. You need to, I think, use put the eScript option in your mix file. You need to tell uh, eScript what the entry point module of your application is. That module needs to implement, I believe, a main function, a function literally called main. And then that's the function that's going to get invoked for you against your main module when somebody executes your program from the command line and the arguments that main takes will be whatever the command line arguments are. And then your application will spin up and go do some work with that data. So it's nice that Elixir kind of has this built-in way. It's super easy for you to make an executable. There are a lot of uh, nifty features like that in Elixir. I was hoping you could also just kind of tell us about your experience developing it. Like what was the hardest part for you? Is there any like lessons that you're able to take away? Yeah, that's a great question. So actually, definitely the hardest part of building this library was getting the encryption right. I don't really know that much about encryption. It's one of those things that I think many of us software engineers take for granted. You know, we get libraries to do it for us. There's plenty of libraries that do it for you. But as I said, we couldn't really find anything that met our needs. And I ended up dropping down to the uh, Erlang crypto module. So it actually ended up being a really cool way for me to learn a little bit about this area that I had always thought like, oh, I don't really need to know anything about that. And definitely I would not call myself like an encryption expert by virtue of having built this library. But it just forced me to demystify some of these concepts and these tools for myself. So getting the encryption just right was definitely very challenging, but very rewarding. Uh, Honestly, the easiest part was like everything Elixir, right? Building out the app so that it could be an executable using eScript was so easy because the documentation is very excellent. And I also used, again, to do a little bit of a plug, I used a lesson in Elixir school that somebody had written a little while back about how to get up and running with eScript and the instructions were perfectly clear. And that was, I mean, it was all fun, but that was sort of the fun part where it felt like, okay, this really is a solved problem. And I don't need to kind of reinvent the wheel in terms of figuring out when and how this will be executed and how it's going to parse the command line options and kind of pipe them through into the code flow of the application. There's like a solution for that already that I could just reach for. So can you talk a little bit about uh, some of that actually, like options parsing, uh, using colors in the CLI, like 
how challenging was it to get the hang of this? I, I guess this is actually, these are actually eScript features. Is I don't think so. Option parser is not an eScript feature. It is a core module of Elixir. Is that right? That seems right. Yeah, I, th- I think we. I found some docs bef- in. Uh, yeah, so it's just a, a hex docs Elixir option parser. So I was kind of amazed while while looking, poking around that this is like a built-in thing. I didn't. Even, I don't know why it. I would think it wouldn't be, but. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's super cool that Elixir yeah. has built in a module that you can reach for that is exclusively designed to parse the options, <laughs> option parser, that you pass to uh, any command line executable. So what it does is it takes, you know, you're running something in the command line, you do the little dash dash. I usually call those flags. You call them option or option parser refers to them as switches. And it casts those flags or options or switches into a keyword list. So again, you're not on the hook for writing all your your own logic to kind of take a set of options from the command line, strip off white spaces and commas and figure out what to do with the little dash dash and figure out how to take each option and make it mean something to your program because that just gets cast into a keyword list for you and then you just use that data. Whereas it's definitely been a minute since I built like a Ruby CLI, but last that I did, I certainly was on the hook for all those things, kind of sanitizing input coming in, figuring out what data structure I wanted to use to take a set of options and turn them into something that my code could actually work with. So again, it's a solved problem in Elixir with Option Parser, which looks like it's just kind of natively part of Elixir. And it just provides like a bunch of convenience methods for you to do that parsing uh, and get data that's that's really easy to work with. So kind of, again, just lets you focus on the fun things about building an Elixir CLI instead of the kind of annoying bits. How do I make this data something I can work with? Instead, you get to focus on what is the cool thing that my program will actually do and what's the best way to do it. All right. So the other thing we, uh, we wanted to talk about was um, Railway. Do you want to talk about, or I guess explain what is Railway and how you're using it? Yeah, I'm so I'm really excited about Railway. It's just it happens to be fresher in my mind. We've just published this package, the Railway Hex package. So I'll give you a little bit of background first on the problem that we were trying to solve for. Right now at Flatiron, we're kind of moving more towards a microservices oriented architecture. And within that world, we really need a sane way to pass messages asynchronously between our various applications. And we started to end up in this scenario where every different app with these autonomous squads of engineers operating on these apps is kind of doing it a little bit differently, right? There's no consistency in the messages that are getting passed. Everybody has like a different setup for how and when to publish or consume these messages. And also the development was going really slowly because every different team working on any different application or anyone spinning up a new app is on the hook for, we're using Rabbit, establishing a connection to Rabbit, setting up some queues, setting up some exchanges, binding queues to exchanges, figuring out how they want to publish, figuring out how they want to subscribe, what kinds of messages are they going to use, should they encode them in JSON, how are you going to decode them? So making everyone solve the same set of problems again and again certainly doesn't make any sense. So we actually developed two packages that would meet our needs. We have a Ruby gem for the Ruby and the Rails apps that we have out in production. We have this hex package, both of which are called Railway, since we also have some Elixir Phoenix apps out in production. And what the Railway hex package is, is it's a wrapper around the AMQP. I always flip some of those letters, so I'm sure I did that just then. Library in Elixir that allows you to connect to and work with RabbitMQ. And it abstracts away all the hard stuff, kind of like Option Parser, actually, right? It takes away 
from you the responsibility of figuring out the common hard stuff and it allows you to focus on writing some code that does the necessary and important work of that application. So the Railway Hex package abstracts away the work of connecting to Rabbit, monitoring that connection, figuring out what to do if the connection goes down, establishing a channel layered over the connection, building your queues and your exchanges, as I said, and binding them, figuring out how to publish, figuring out what the message format is, how to serialize and deserialize. Instead, you can buy into this pattern really seamlessly with the help of Railway. You make a publisher, you make a consumer, you're basically done. You can focus on what really matters, which is what work should your application do when it consumes a certain message. So this works with RabbitMQ. Do you want to, so I, I'm like loosely familiar with it. I know it's an Erlang application and that's kind of about it. Um, so what are the basics of like RabbitMQ? Yeah, so RabbitMQ is basically just like a message broker. Um, it relies on queues. It doesn't do streams. So one of the things I definitely want to chat about is like, are we married to Rabbit? Do these packages only work with Rabbit? You know, it's built on top of Erlang, which is nice. You know, we like all the nice Erlang things like high concurrency and, and fault tolerance and all of that stuff. Uh, you can deploy Rabbit in, you know, a distributed system, which is cool if that's your thing. So there's lots of nice advantages to Rabbit as like a message brokering system. You can also use, there's plenty of services that will do like uh, managed Rabbit instances for you. Right now we manage our own, but we're definitely thinking about moving towards something managed. We ended up with Rabbit because we already had Rabbit, if that kind of makes sense. We decided to build these packages to wrap the message broker system that our microservices architecture was already relying on as we're trying to kind of move towards microservices the right way and standardize the way that our team works with microservices and kind of maintains this infrastructure, we needed to pick a battle that we could win. And that battle was not get rid of Rabbit, replace it with something else, and introduce new libraries for interacting with these toolings. So one thing at a time. Uh, that said, I think the thing that you miss out on with Rabbit, because it's only queue-backed and there is no message streaming, is you don't get the historical persistence of all your messages. So if you want to do like a real CQRS system where you're being able to like replay from the beginning of time all the messages that were consumed, you're not going to get that with Rabbit. You're not going to get that with queues. You need streams. That's not a need that's front and center for us right now. So it certainly wasn't a deciding factor. Oh, we mustn't use Rabbit because we definitely need streams and this you know super high level historical persistence. But that said, we definitely wanted to build packages and establish patterns that weren't totally married to a particular message broker. The extent to which we succeeded in that will be revealed, I think, only when we actually switch to a different message broker. Then we'll see what kind of hole we dug for ourselves. But that was we tried to make that our guiding principle. So right now, both the Railway Gem and the Hex package, you know, wrap and interact with Rabbit connections. But we certainly tried to write that code in those packages so that you could swap in a different message broker in the future. Certainly like to extend them to be able to support different message brokers in the future. Well... I feel like I've got a lot of research to do to understand exactly all the things that you just said. <laughs> Unfortunately, we are running out of time. And so I want to ask you one final question before we give you some time to plug anything that you want to plug. We are big fans of shameless self-promotion here. Uh, but the final question that I have for you is, you know, like what is going on in the Elixir space that you are like excited about or obsessed about or like is there anything that's on your mind right now that you feel like you just have to or would like to get off your chest uh, before we let you go? 
Yeah, absolutely. So there's two things that I'm really excited about in the Elixir community right now. And the second one segues really nicely into my shameless plug. So I think it'll work out very nicely. So the first thing I'm really excited about is I think Elixir as both a language and a community are really starting to mature. You know, Elixir is, is it either feature complete or almost feature complete? And they announced that the next version bump is going to be like a last one or no one nine they've said is now feature complete which is pretty impressive whether or not one nine could truly be feature complete seems kind of incredible to me so you know as a language it's really maturing and as a community it's growing as i said earlier wanting to see it become more beginner friendly it has become a lot more beginner friendly even just as somebody that goes to like the nyc elixir meetup and has done for a few years now see it grow from like four dudes in their 40s to like 30 people in a room, you know, different ages, backgrounds, different levels of experience, you know, people talking and mingling and supporting each other. That's something that I've definitely seen here in New York. And I I hope I think people will echo it from their various locations spread around the the globe. Even I've certainly seen it through Elixir School. So the maturity of the language and the growing maturity of the community are really, really cool to see. It's getting a lot easier to have that conversation with with companies, for example. Why should we use Elixir? Because you don't have to justify like that. No one knows it. People kind of know it and are getting excited about it. The other thing I'm excited about, which I'm sure everybody's kind of pumped about right now, is like fun, cool new things like Live View. You know, Phoenix is getting a lot more mature as well. Uh, The real-time capabilities are just always really fun to build in. Live view is super cool, and this segues nicely into my shameless plug because if you're thinking about checking out and you haven't decided yet whether or not you'll be attending ElixirConf in Denver at the end of August, you absolutely should check it out, and you should come to the workshop that I'm co-organizing with some other Elixir School contributors on all the fancy real-time Phoenix features, including live view. So especially if you haven't gotten a chance to get your hands on some of the real-time tooling that Phoenix provides, this two-day workshop is a great place to get started. And I'm also giving a live view talk at ElixirConf in August and then a live view talk at the Big Elixir in New Orleans in November. So lots of fun stuff coming up. And I think, Eric, you're going to be at ElixirConf, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll be at uh, both those. So Justice oh, awesome. and I will both be at ElixirConf and then... Very cool. Yeah, I'm giving a talk at uh, the Big Elixir as well. So very cool. Yeah, I'll get a chance. Yeah, to in, in fact, Sophie, I'm pretty sure I just signed up for your, your training session. Very cool. I'm not yeah. going to tell you how much work that we still have to do <laughs> on this workshop. But come the end of August, it will be totally. Um, I assume that you're totally prepared, actually. Right. And I hope that you can answer all of my questions in full and completely correctly. Oh yeah, so. definitely. There will be no problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Great. Well, everybody go check out Flatiron School. They're a great organization. Sophie De Benedetto, excellent uh, engineer here. Really glad that we could have you on to talk about some of these libraries that you've been working on. And I, we will see you at ElixirConf and the Big Elixir. And now we'll have to find out a way to get this episode crammed in to uh, the publishing schedule before ElixirConf. But I bet we can do it if we set our mind to it. Everybody, this has been Sophie De Benedetto. I am honored to be sharing the hosting responsibilities of this show with Eric Ostrich. And my name is Justice Epen. This has been another episode of Smart Software with Smart Logic. Join us next time to get more sweet, sweet Elixir internals. Mm-hmm.